So I am happy to speak to you again on a, an interesting topic which I have chosen for today's uh, discourse. There's a song from by Ram Prasad, Bhavile Bhave Rudai Hoy, Jamanubhav Temni Lab, Mool Shei Pratyay. It's a very interesting song, Bhavile Bhave Rudai Hoy. Can you not sing it? Jamanulab Jamanubhav Temni Lab, Mool Shei Pratyay. Bhavile Bhave Rudai Hoy, Kalir Bhakta Jivan Mukta Nityananda Kai. Kali the Bhakta, the devotee of the Divine Mother, is already free. What does it mean? So we seek freedom, all of us. We are called Mumukshus, people who aspire for freedom, for Mukti, for Moksha. Freedom from what? Freedom from ignorance, freedom from littleness, freedom from bondage. We want to become totally free of all the encumbrances of the body, mind, and the senses. What the world gives us is freedom of the senses, but what we seek is freedom from the senses. We are slaves to the senses now, although we claim that we are free, constantly the senses are dictating to us. The eye says, You see this, and I see. The ear says, You hear this sound, and I hear. The tongue says, You taste this food, and I taste. The skin says you touch this pleasurable and have a pleasurable sensation that I touch. The nose says you smell this. The pancha indriyas, the five senses constantly are dictating to us. They have made us their slaves. And we have happily accepted this slavery. This is called life. And the more you accept this slavery and enjoy, the more you are supposed to be successful in life. The tragedy is that a person is called successful if he dances to the tune of his five senses and goes along with them all the way till the senses completely destroy him. <coughs> Swami Ramakrishnananda Ji, in a small talk called Path to Perfection, he says, if you serve somebody faithfully, the master who you serve will definitely do something good for you. Obviously, he is grateful, he is thankful to you for having served him. So he says, I will give you a reward. We are serving the senses for millions of lives, if you believe in rebirth, which we do in Hinduism. For millions of lives we have been serving these senses. We have been slaves to them, the senses have been our master. We have been slaves to the mind and we have been slaves to the body. So these masters, the body, the mind and the senses, what have they given us? What has the body given you? You pamper the body, how much of money, billions of dollars are spent in pampering the body in makeup and cosmetics, in scent industries? How much money and how much energy is spent in pampering the body, body fitness? So what does the body ultimately give you? Death. The body doesn't say, you have pampered me so much, come on, live with me as long as you can. No. It decays and ultimately pushes you into deadly diseases and kills you so that you die. Is that the reward that you are going to get by pampering the body? 
So think about this very simply. That you are serving should give you something which as a reward, which is abiding, which is everlasting. The senses, what do they give you? Constantly watch the television, your eyes, eyesight goes away. And now everybody has a in-ear plug, plug to the, both of the ears. I used to think the poor ears, what do they do? They say, please open, I want to see, the, I want the wide world, I want to listen to sounds. No, you have to listen to this sound. You walk in the streets, you cross the streets also with the headphone on. And you are in the, in the airplane, you are in the, walking in the, in the streets. You Whatever you do, earplugs are there always in the ears. Nose, scent industry. Tongue, of course, is a dangerous uh, master. He dances to your tunes, he eats this. I am diabetic, I will not eat this. No, just a little, why not? A little becomes more little, more little becomes most little. <laughs> Till your uh, sugar shoots up. And touch, of course, kills you. In the Viveka Chudamani, which is a great book by Shankaracharya, giving the essence of Vedanta in simple verses, very poetic verses, he says, each of the animals is destroyed and killed by the power of one of the senses. They say the deer, the hearing, sound. And the elephants are captured by touch. A female elephant just touches it, it simply collapses. Touch is the weakest point of an elephant. If each of these animals is destroyed by the predominance and the power of one of the senses, alas, what is the condition of man in which all the five senses are equally powerful? <laughs> he laments there, Shankaracharya, <clears throat> so how much more careful you should be to keep the senses under your control and be masters and not slaves. When people talk against religion, against God, and we have plenty of students there in uh, India also, Western students are more critical and uh, perhaps more religious. But only the ritualistic religion they don't want. There is a movement in the West among the young people these days. How to be spiritual without being religious? They want spirituality. They want goodness. They want pure life. But they don't want the uh, so-called ritualistic religion going to the temples or churches and then um, um, uh, talking big about spirituality and cutting other man's throat. That kind of spiritual religion they don't want. So they keep, keep asking this question. What is the point in believing in God? What is the point in going to religion? What is the point in prayer and so on? We want freedom. You are keeping us like slaves, asking us to pray in the morning and afternoon. I tell them you have plenty of freedom to improve yourself. You have plenty of freedom to live a pure life. Plenty of freedom to study. Plenty of freedom to do things which are elevating. But you have no freedom to spoil yourself. You have no freedom to eat whatever you like and spoil your stomach. You have no freedom to fill your lungs with smoke. Purchasing kilos of cancer, that's what you do when you purchase smoke. You will have no freedom for it because that is not freedom, it is slavery. So we need to know what is freedom and what is slavery. Jivan Mukta means a person who is free while being alive. Not post-mortem freedom, but freedom while being alive. This moment you are free. 
When you walk out of this hall, you should walk as Jeevan Muktas. Is it possible? Vedanta says yes. What is freedom and what is bondage? To be able to know this, you require a kind of mind which is called by Bhagavad Gita, Sattvika Buddhi. Sattviki Buddhi means a highly refined, pure intelligence, which is also called Medha in Sanskrit, Pragya in Yoga Sutras. The higher intelligence, Dhi in the Gayatri Mantra, the Sattviki Buddhi or the higher intelligence tells you what is good and what is not good, what is to be done, what is not to be done, and what is freedom and what is bondage. Pravrittim cha nivrittim cha karya karye bhaya bhaye Pandham moksham chaya veti buddhisa partha sattviki That buddhi, that higher intelligence, that prajna, that medha which tells you, which informs you what is pravritti and what is nivritti. Pravritti is going towards doing something, the inclination for outwardness a nivritti is withdrawing your senses from the outside world and the proclivity for inward contemplation, for introspection. So what is pravritti and what is nivritti? Where you should go, where you should withdraw. Pravrittim cha nivrittim cha karya akarya. Karya which is to be done, akarya which is not to be done. And bandham moksham cha yaveti. Bandha, bondage, moksha, freedom. What is freedom and what is bondage is to be understood. Some of the uh, world classics were composed when the writers and the authors were in jail. One example is the discovery of India by Jawaharlal Nehru. When Sri Aravinda was in jail, he made fantastic realizations about himself. He had a vision of Sri Ramakrishna. So he was working on himself. Inwardly he was growing. Outwardly when you are in bondage, that is the time when you inwardly become released. So invite outward bondage so that you can inwardly grow and be released. What we normally do, we seek outward freedom. I should be free to go where I like. I should be able to eat what I like. That is the modern tendency. If you have outward freedom unbridled, your inward freedom is correspondingly diminished. So we should remember that what we are seeking is not freedom of the senses, but the freedom from the senses. Senses should not be our masters, they should be my slaves. It is demeaning for me, a human being, to be dancing to the tune of the senses. I am the master and they shall obey me like slaves. There is a simple beautiful line in Vedanta. Atma bhūpatarayam sanātanaha pīta mohamajirākulāha kinkarasya manaso api kinkaraihi indriyaihi ahaha kinkari kritaha This Atman is the king of kings. Bhūpati, Sanatana is an ancient, it has been there, it has been ruling a spiritual kingdom for millennia upon millennia, birth after birth. This Atman, king of kings, suddenly the king became terribly drunk. 
the wine of moha moha is delusion what is delusion confusion between the real and the unreal between the permanent and the impermanent the eternal and the non eternal you take the non eternal to be the eternal the impermanent with the permanent and chase it till you find you are is a wild goose chase the will of the wisp as swami vekananda says in the poem you chase the will of the wisp only to find that it simply vanishes it's not there with you it's a ghost which you are chasing endlessly at the end of it become terribly frustrated and you become deeply depressed and you die the intellect is also a ghost which is continuously deceiving you people study and study whole libraries they try to memorize and you constantly keep reading studying books how much of study can satisfy you you can tickle your intellect for some time you can go for conferences you can go for debates your very elite intellectuals of the various countries of the world come you have a seminar and everybody claps and you're satisfied you go back and sleep intensely and happy <laughs> it can't satisfy you this was the first lesson which m the mahendranath gupta learned from sri ramakrishna you know the famous story in the gospel in the kathamrita and the original is so beautifully written <coughs> sri ramakrishna is asking um, are you married he said yes sir oh ramlal oh vivah kore phelache is married etc then what kind of wife do you have is she helpful for your spiritual uh, sadhana tumar parivar kemon then master mahesh says agya bhalo kindo agyan she is good but rather illiterate rather ignorant ramakrishna virakto hi ar tumi gyani and you are a man of knowledge these through three three words this m mahendra gupta who is called master mahesh in uh, in our parlance how elevated a soul he must have been the those three words from his guru completely smashed his egoism he says ahankar churna hoyeche but sampurna na hoate tarko korte parvartto halen it is not fully smashed so he started arguing with master then he says a beautiful sentence gyan kaake bole agyan kaake bole master tokono janiten na tini mujhilen tini janilen prochur bhoi porle gyan hoy bhoi na porle gyan hoy na parvartikale janite parilen ईश्वर के जाना ही ज्ञान ईश्वर के ना जाना ज्ञान विच मीन्स इन इंग्लिश एट दैट टाइम एम थॉट बाई रीडिंग सो मेनी बुक्स यू गेट लॉट ऑफ नॉलेज लेटर ऑन ही केम टू नो दैट दैट नॉलेज इज नॉलेज बाई विच गॉड एट द सुप्रीम डिफिनिटी सुप्रीम रियालिटी इज इंट्यूटेड एंड नोन एवरीथिंग एल्स इज ओनली इग्नोरेंस this is a great lesson in spiritual life those who are intellectual unfortunately some of us who have been uh, educated we always think we should tickle the intellect and we should study and then vedanta and then great books remember in uh, shlokas we should chant in sanskrit and english but that's not going to satisfy your soul at all because once again you are caught in the meshes of knowledge that may be slightly higher than the pressures of the senses but even if it is slightly higher if it is satvik even that's a bondage sukha sangena badhrati gana sangena chanaka gita it gives you a sense of joy pleasure 
and it gives you some jnana, knowledge, through which you are bound. So once again, nothing satisfies you. So Swami Vivekananda wrote in that poem, famous poem, Jyotadur, Jyotadur, Jao, Buddhirathe, Kauri, Arohan, Eje, Shangshar, Jaladi, Shukh, Dukh, Kauri, Avartan, Pakkhahin, Shona, Vihangam, Eje, Nohe, Patha, Palabar, Barambar, Paicho, Aghat, Kanakaru, Vrithai, Uddham. Oh my mind, however far you may go, riding the chariot of the intellect, Buddhi, Ratha, you may go far, far away, Again and again you come back to the world of relativity, world of senses, and the world of sorrow, pleasure and pain. O bird is addressing the mind. Both your wings are cut. Why are you trying to fly unnecessarily? Stay put and surrender. So that means the intellect can't satisfy, what satisfies you? This king of kings, Atman, Bhupati, Sanatana, ancient king, excessively drunk with the wine of Moha, delusion. What is delusion? Delusion is the feeling that my intellect will satisfy me. My body and mind will actually serve me to attain the highest. And these have cheated me for millions of lives. Our senses, our body, our mind, who we thought our great friends. Who we pampered, who we employed, at great cost, they have cheated me for millions of lives. Now having come to Sri Ramakrishna, I have realized, no, no more. I have had enough of it, enough is enough. I wake up to find these senses are not my slaves, they are my master. They have enslaved me in this cage called the body. And I have been enslaved by whom? By the senses. What are the senses? Senses are slaves of the mind. What is the mind? Mind is a slave of the Atman which is me. The mind is my slave and my servant. And the senses are the servants of the mind. So I have been enslaved by the servants called the Indriyas, which are servants of the mind, which is my servant. What can be more tragic than this? Indriyasya manaso api, indri, uh, uh, kinkarasya manaso api, indriyehi, kinkarehi, ahaha, indri, kinkari krataha. So what a tragic position to which I have reduced myself. And I claim to be a great intellectual, a great professor, and a great scientist, and a great writer, a great administrator. But who am I? What am I? So what should I do? The question is, what am I supposed to do? Have you realized it first? That's the question. The first is to bring awareness to you. Think about your life. Think about what's going to happen to you. All of us are aging. Even young people who are here, Obviously they are aging. A time will come, then your teeth will, teeth will fall down and your uh, heart will slowly start palpitating and the doctor will say, you have a very poor heart, you do this. Aging is a process which you can't avoid. Every moment you are aging, your youth is getting worn out and the day which has passed will never come back. 
sixth of uh, May 2019 will never come back. That's gone. This moment has become past and it is not going to come back. And the wealth and the money and the prowess and the power and position you talk about, that is also ephemeral. Oh, you're working in that company? It's very prestigious. Yeah, I got it on my own merit. <laughs> Suddenly, you see, what has happened to you? I have been fired. In this country, they hire and fire. <laughs> only, uh, only one small letter changed. You lose your job for nothing. You don't know why. No reasons are given to you. And you are depressed. And you go through... Uh, uh, antidepressants and you go to a psychiatrist. That is the worst thing you can do. He himself is in trouble but he has opened a shop to solve others' problems. So he begins to integrate you, disintegrate you, reintegrate you in a huge amount of money. So you are absolutely helpless. Nobody to help you. All the people who are running behind you because of your position no longer look at you. So what has happened to my life? Is there anything eternal? These things happen in life. It is not a, a, a story. These things do happen in our lives, everyday life. Life is so fragile, so uncertain. I'm not trying to frighten you, but this is a fact of life. I always remember this example. You know the 9 by 11 tragedy, Twin Towers in New York, <coughs> how they were destroyed by a terrorist attack. The 11th of September. The two towers housed so many companies, very important companies. In several of the companies, there must have been conferences. And 10th of September 2001, in one of the conferences, the discussion was, where would the company go, the present state of growth, after five years? It's very common in management, people keep projecting. They call it projection. You project. You have a target to achieve. They always say target-oriented, goal-oriented. Everybody is happy about it. So you have a target, and the person who is speaking there, the managing director, the CEO, this is where our company should be five years hence. The, the curve goes up and then reaches some place. Everybody clams. Yeah, sir, we should try for it. Where was the company 11th of September? Life, did anybody know this is going to happen? I am not saying that everything will be addressed tomorrow, but life is so uncertain. Life is so flimsy. Life is so fragile. Constantly things are changing. Change is the only thing which is changeless, they say. The only unchanging truth in life that everything changes. Now, if everything changes, is there anything which is unchanging? Why should you ask this question? This is a rationale for the existence of God. By definition, God is something who is unchanging, eternal, in this world of change. Nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam eko bhuhunam yo viradhatikaman tamatmastam yenubashantidhiras tesham shantishashwati nitaresham kathopanishad. That unchanging entity in the midst of all change, Nitya Nityanam, that conscious entity in the midst of all the various conscious beings, 
Only a person who has realized the self, the higher self, the Atman within him, he alone can get peace, none else and none else. Why should you ask for a changeless entity in the midst of change? You have to ask for it because if everything changes, life will have no meaning. You think of this? You can't depend on anything in life because everything is changing. To get meaning to life, you have to put your faith in something. We call it Astha. Astha means you have to put your faith somewhere. You have to depend on something. We depend on the body. The body fails you. Depend on your beauty. Beauty fails you. Depend on your money. Money fails you. Your position fails you. So constantly things keep changing. Then you can't really depend on anything. A person who doesn't find meaning in life goes either goes mad or ends his life in frustration. So to be able to live sanely and to be able to live happily without frustration, you have necessarily to possess something which is changeless amidst all change. What is that changeless entity? That changeless entity has to be eternal, eternal meaning, unchanging. And change happens in space and time. And therefore that which is beyond change should be beyond space and beyond time. And therefore beyond causation. Is it attainable? That is the next question. We are people who are in the midst of change, our body continuously is changing. There are two paths. One is, you posit an entity which is changeless, call it God, and think of God as somebody who responds to your prayer. Many people ask, is it true that God listens to your prayer? There is a method in physics and mathematics by which a theorem is proved. What you do is, most of the mathematicians here will know, when you are given a theorem to prove this theorem, what you do is, take the theorem to be not true and go through the consequences. You come up with an absurd result and then say, this absurd result is because I assumed the theorem to be not true and therefore the theorem should be true. This is called a reductio ad absurdum. This is a well-known mathematical technique. Is there something called God who is eternal? Let us assume there is nothing called God who is eternal. The consequences are we will become either mad or commit suicide, which is not acceptable. And therefore there is something who is eternal. Next question, is he personal or is he impersonal? If he is personal, he is almost like us, but more powerful. Then he listens to me, he talks to me, he conveys his messages to me, and he loves me, and therefore I can relate to him. But some people come and say, I don't believe in a personal God. Easy is very easy. If he's a person, he has to have a house, he has a place to live in. If you say he lives in the heavens, where is heaven? So all questions will arise. So the safer bet will be to make him impersonal. See, how the human mind is trying to solve the cosmic mystery, that's what I'm saying. 
the human mind since time immemorial has been asking certain fundamental question and asking the uh, the nature of the reality suppose you make him impersonal what are the consequences what is impersonal that is it's not personal so he has no form he has no name and he has no feelings and he has no emotions he has no responses what good of god is he you go to god and cry god doesn't look at you doesn't react doesn't do anything so that god is not transactionable that god is not relationalable you can't relate to that god so what is the point of positing a god which is unchanging who you cannot relate so let us rather uh, go for a personal god does everybody agree no you will go for impersonal if you go for the impersonal you have to impersonal depersonalize yourself that is the test i can't think of me as a person and think of god as non person if i have to impersonalize god i have to depersonalize myself why it's a psychological and a philosophical fact that our conception of reality our conception of truth depends completely upon our conception about ourselves what i think now as i am i think of god in that way swami vekananda makes a very very humorous remark in this connection this was due to ramanujacharya the great vaishnava the vasishtadvaita saint bhakti acharya one of the outstanding acharyas of all time of the bhakti school he said your conception of the reality will have necessarily to be dependent upon and conditioned by your conception about your own self swami vekananda says in the bhakti yoga if all the cows in the world unite and have a conference they will think of god as a huge cow if all the buffaloes in the world unite and think of god they think of god as a huge buffalo if all the fishes in the world have a conference and decide the nature of god they will think of god as a huge fish <laughs> why because i can't think of god except in my own terms so we are human beings and we have to think of god only in human terms you can't avoid it unless you change your conception of yourself as a superior being non human being which is not possible as long as you are encased in this body and the mind i have to think of myself as a human being first so i think of god as a huge human being how huge is huge i have two hands so he should have more than two hands four hands are four good enough uh, give him two more six two more eight chaturbhuja shadbhuja ashtabhuja dashabhuja ten hands and some some people say sahasrabhuja give him 1000 hands the idea being you have to endow to god a power which you don't have he is like me but infinitely powerful you see so many things with two eyes god will have three eyes trinayana <laughs> so the conception of god is evolving according to your conception changes when you think of god as something more powerful you think of yourself also is equally powerful
And Jung has a psychological statement, Carl Jung. He says the person is outwardly just the opposite of what he is inwardly. <coughs> Those who are meek and weak like Hindus in India, meek, mild, non-aggressive, they always will worship an aggressive God. Durga, Kali, Chinnamasta. <laughs> because I am weak, I am meek, I am mild, I think of my God as possessing infinite powers so that I can worship that God and feel better. In the West, the Westerners worship Christ always aggressive, pushing, dashing. So worship a very mild God, Christ, who allowed himself to be crucified and taught people that if somebody strikes you on one cheek, show him the other cheek. Somebody took away your cloak, give him the coat. If somebody asks you to walk one mile, walk twine. They always have this idea of a kind, meek God because they want to be like that but they can't. So their God should be like this. This is a psychological fact. Swamiji has a very funny story on this. Vivekananda says, Ultra Swamiji Ram, that is the story. In uh, uh, English it means, Oh Ram, you understood the opposite. Rama is, is the God. One uh, old monk became so aged he couldn't walk properly. He said, Rama was his uh, uh, Ishtadevata, chosen deity. He said, Oh Ram, please give me a horse. I can't walk properly. So he was praying and praying. Suddenly one small pony appeared. A small horse. So he's so happy. What has happened was, some decoys had looted a huge amount of jewelry, put it in this pony and were walking. And the pony became ill. So they said, I don't want to lose the pony also. I, here is a person. They give him a good slap, carry this pony on your back. So he said, oh Ram, I wanted to ride the pony, pony is riding me. <laughs> he says humorously, their God, that means Christ in the West, thought that you should never react, you should never resist evil, show the other cheek when somebody strikes in one cheek. And they have, not following their God, they are following our God Krishna, who said, Tasmatva muttishta yashola jitva shatrun bhangsharajyam samriddham O Arjuna, get up and fight and finish these enemies. What a tragedy, Ulta Samajali Ram, they are following our God and we are following their God. <laughs> Life is so funny. So if you want to think of the reality and unchanging essence in life, conceive of this, conceptualize as much as possible by the mind. You have to think of it in human terms only. Now if you rise still higher, think of yourself as light. Many sadhakas have found great light in their hearts. They find, I am that light. Jyoti Raham, Raja, Vipapma, Bhuya, Mahanaranopash. I am that Jyoti. I am that light which is beyond all darkness, beyond all blemish. When I think of myself as a light, then I think of him as a huge light. What kind of light? He is the light which is lighting all of us. Jyoti Rajyoti Ujjwala Hridi Kandara Tumitama Bhanjanahar Vivekananda wrote that. Beautiful sentence. He is Jyoti Rajyoti Tachubram Jyoti Sham Jyoti 
Tad-Dyad-Atma-Vidho-Vidho-Vindu-Ko-Upanishad. Swamiji must have borrowed from there. He said, I spoke nothing but the Upanishad. Tad-Shubram Jyotisham Jyotihi. It is the light of all lights. I am that small light. He is a huge light. I am a part of him. I am being uh, illumined by his illumination. So as your conception of yourself goes on changing, as, as you are evolving, your conception of God also will continuously change. God will become impersonal to you when you depersonalize yourself completely. So two parts, as I said, are given open to you. As long as you feel the body and the mind, as long as you feel the pinch of the senses, as long as you feel you are a human being in this body, then you have to necessarily think of God as a huge human being with extraordinary powers. This is a necessity, psychological necessity. You can't wish it away. Don't ask what is the real nature of God. Nobody knows except God himself. Or perhaps he also doesn't know. Sri Ramakrishna says he can be anything. Tini shakar, tini nirakar, shakar, nirakar, pare, aro koto ki. He can be with form, he can be without form. He can be both without and with form. He can be beyond form and formlessness. And how many more things besides. You can't put a limitation on the uh, nature of God. He can be anything if he likes. Don't say God has to be this and not that. But you can call upon God in a particular way and he responds. Because he says, this fellow wants me in this way, I go. Hindus have been criticized by some of the Westerners and Christians as being idolaters. Because you worship images, you worship trees, you worship snakes, you worship... Um, um, even tigers as Vahana of the Devi and what kind of religion is you worship trees what kind of religion is this so one Swami very wittily said there is a big argument between these two then he said you don't believe that God has images no you believe God is omnipresent is present everywhere of course yes then your God should be full of holes why God is present everywhere but where there are images, there is no God. That means full of holes. Your God is a holy God who is full of holes. That is the uh, debate. He responds to you in the way you want him to respond to you. I am a fool, I am a stupid fellow, I don't agree, I don't understand the nature of God. I go to a river, this river is my sustenance, gives me water, and uh, it gives me uh, 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 so much of uh, um, nourishment. So I say, oh, oh river, you are my God. And then say, hey Ganga, Gange, hey Yamune, you are my God. And then you invoke God there. God says, this fellow wants me in the form of a river. So he approaches you in the form of a river. Come on, worship me, I have come. Oh, you have come as a river. I knew you were always a river. The other fellow says, I want him as a tree. Because the tree has sustained me, nourished me. I will worship this tree as God. God says, come on, I will become this tree and then worship, accept your worship. In whatever way the devotee approaches me, approach him in this way. Suppose you have a problem. Oh God, this fellow is worshipping in the image as a tree and a river. That's not the correct thing. He doesn't know. God doesn't have a problem, man has a problem. If you think of interreligious faith in the point of view of God, there will be no problem. 
God says, I, I can become the tree, I can become the river. If you assume and agree that God is omnipotent, which he is all-powerful, and omnipresent, present everywhere, and omniscient, all-knowing, these are the characteristics of God accepted across all religions. If you agree God is all-powerful, can he not become the tree? Can he not become the river? He can. According to how you call him, he manifests there. Now if you think of God as a person, you think of him as a superior person, as an infinitely powerful person, who responds to prayer, who responds to love. So I am so tired and so fatigued, I have depended on my wife and children and my, and my boss in the office, I have depended on my position, but nobody has given me satisfaction. Ultimately, everybody has deserted me. I feel so lonely. I weep and weep. Then I go to God. You are my eternal companion. You are my friend. Bhagavad Gita. I am the ultimate goal. I am your nourisher. I am your protector. I am your father. And we go one step farther than Christians. I am your grandfather also. Pitamaha. So I am everything to you. Etc. We constantly chant in Hinduism. So you are my everything. Everybody has deserted me. Nobody wants me. So God, I have come to you helplessly. God says, come. I am there with you. If nobody wants you, I am there. This is what Holy Mother said. Even if nobody wants you, always remember there is a mother who is constantly with you. That gives you tremendous consolation. Intellectuals the stu- with the, with the uh, uh, small stupid intellect will say, oh, Is that real? Do you know mother is there? At least this gives me joy and satisfaction. This fellow is rather ignorant. He doesn't know philosophy. He doesn't know science. He thinks God is always with him. That fellow says, at least I am feel, feeling joy, I am feeling consolation. I am sane. This fellow with all your intellect and science, where are you? You need to sustain yourself to some faith. This is the story of Professor Abdul Salam, a Pakistani Nobel laureate in physics. You know the Muslims pray seven times faithfully. In an international conference, suddenly he, was, he went missing. People frantically looked for Salam. Where is he? Where is he? Then he was slowly emerging from a corner. Professor Salam, where did you go? We are looking for you. Oh, I was doing my usual prayers. Then everybody uh, with a chuckle and uh, trying to heckle him. You, Salam, also believing in all this? Then he smiled and gave a beautiful answer. I am Salam, the scientist doing physics and science. But I am Salam, the human being who does science. Who sustains the salam? The human being. The human being salam has to be sustained to be sane, to be happy, so that the scientist salam can do science. This is what sustains me. There is something which sustains you constantly. So you can't wish away the personal God. The impersonal God doesn't look at you, doesn't talk to you. And you go and cry to the impersonal God who simply stares at you without saying anything. What kind of God is that? You call your friend, you go to him and then ask, Oh, I am so broke and you please help me. He doesn't even look at you. Will you go to him again? 
So this God, the personal God, people have seen it, people have cried to it, people have got the responses. It is all a documentary evidence of hundreds of thousands of sages over millennia per millennia across all religions. These are our stories. If you wish away everything, then where are you? You are simply abandoning all the knowledge which has been gained through millennia. It is just like somebody says, I don't believe in books on physics or mathematics. I will do all mathematics myself over again. You don't do that. You take the knowledge which, is, which you have on documentary evidence. Repeatedly saints and sages, the incarnations and prophets of God have said, you can talk to him, he responds. See, Ramakrishna says in the modern age, Tini kaan khodke, Tini pipade nupur dhani parjunta shunte paan. He can listen to the footfall of an ant. Think of an ant, a little creature which is walking. When the feet of the ant are striking the earth, one small sound is made, which God is able to hear. He is so quick-eared, he can listen to the footfall of an ant. Will he not, will he not listen to the prayers of you and me? You are tormented, you are troubled, you cry to God, will you not listen to him? He shall listen, it is possible. And now, if you think of God constantly as a person and you cry to him and then weep to him and then talk to him and you feel that he is responding, it may be imagination. Many people say, oh that is okay, Ramakrishna, he talked to the mother, mother talked back to him. In our case, I talked to mother, nothing happened, she is not talking to me. She simply sits there smiling. Mother, oh, please say something to me. She is not saying anything. What kind of God is he? The answer to this is, at least can't you imagine that she is with you? The Divine Mother. Can't you imagine that God is responding to your call? And you can see it, although he doesn't talk to you directly, you can see that in the fruits of your work. Those who have earnestly prayed to God in moments of crisis, I don't know how many of you have felt deep crisis in life. If you haven't, God is with you. Good luck for you. But the moment will come then you have to face through crisis where the whole heart will be stirred up and you will cry and cry helplessly, nobody to stand by you. At that moment your heart wells up in prayer and says, Oh God, what is happening? Christ also did it. At the moment of death in the crucifix, he said, Oh my father, why have you abandoned me? The theologians don't know how to explain this. He is talking like a human being for our sake. Whenever God comes down as man, or the prophet of God, or the son of God in the, in the case of Christianity, he is talking our language. When Shankara talks about, I am, I, I am a stupid human being, I am ignorant, please help me, oh mother. Not that he was stupid and ignorant. But he is assuming a position like ours and then teaches us how to pray to God. Then go down on your knees and then cry. Then you shall see, if you have been sincere, that the problem simply vanishes and something new happens. And that which you never expected in life happens. So then you get the faith, God is with you after all. Redaxio had observed him once again, suppose God is not with you. See, the training in science is very dangerous. I ask, suppose God is not with you. What, what, what are they going to do? 
more depression, more unhappiness. It's rather good to feel that God is with you. Proof, witnesses. In the court of law, if you have witnesses to say that God is with them, then that is proof enough. There is a beautiful stotra, hymn by Shankaracharya. It's called Artvatrana Narayana Stotram. Artha means sorrow, Trana, one who releases you from sorrow. Narayana is the only person, the God is the only person who can release you from sorrow. Artvatrana Parayana Sabhagavan Narayano Megatihi. Narayana, the Supreme Lord, is the only Gati, the only support for me, the only goal, because He alone shall release me from sorrow. Come unto me, ye that are weary and heavy laden, I shall give thee rest. Christ said this. Sarvadharman paritya jama mekam sharanam braja ahamtva saro vakipapebhyo mukshishyami mashucha. Sri Krishna said this. Surrender unto me and I shall release you from all difficulties and sins. Sakrade vaprapannaya tavasmiti achate abhayam sarvabhute bhyodhidam etat pratamama. In the Ramayana, Ramachandra says, even once if somebody says, I am yours and surrenders to me, I give him abhaya, I give him fearlessness and fill him with bliss. That is my vow. That is, incarnation has come down for that purpose. See, if you have that kind of a faith and move along, and then God is constantly with you, and then helping you, because the opposite proposition doesn't help you at all. So rather than disbelieving, you believe and see what happens then you will see that in your own life miracles happen. People look for miracles. What are miracles? Suddenly this, this uh, stone will move from here to there, some, some spectacular things will happen. The greatest miracle is we, that we are sitting here sane and listening, that our heart is pumping properly, lungs are moving, and we are able to eat and digest. It's a great miracle. Who does this? When we eat, or a, stomach full there is a power within you which digests all your food suppose you tell God that fellow doesn't believe in you don't digest his food <laughs> God says let him not believe in me but he is my child aham vaishvanuro bhutva praninam dehamasrita pranapana samayukta pachamyannam chaturvidham Bhagavan says in the Gita I remain as vaishvanar agni in the stomach and digest all your food. When you sleep away, who moves your lungs and the heart? And we are not worried. Hey, wait, I will not sleep today. Why? I want to check whether my heart is going properly. Because you know, unless you watch people, people shirk work. I should be carefully watching whether the heart is pumping. You don't need to. Somebody puts you to sleep and like a kind mother watches over you. All my children are sleeping happily and he doesn't sleep. Because if he slept off, everything will be dark. The Bhagavan says in the Gita, Yerihyaham navarteyam jadukarman atandritaha Atandrita, without tandra, without sleep, I am watching over all my children sleeping and enjoying. Let them do what they like. Let them not believe in me, but they are my children. If you have this kind of a conviction and you see the lives of Great men. 
lives of sadhakas, lives of saints. And you see, these are the uh, um, sakshi who say, I have believed in the Divine Mother and I have become free. Kali Bhakta Jeevan Mukta. That means, your faith is so burning and powerful, no power on earth can shake you because I am mother's child. Like children saying, I will tell my mother. Sri did that. For everything he went to the mother. There is some problem he runs to the mother. Mother, why did this happen to me? Totapuri had come to teach him Advaita Vedanta. Totapuri saw that he is an extraordinary aspirant for Advaita. Will you practice Advaita? So I don't know, I have to ask my mother. Go ask. And he says, this little boy running to the shrine in the Kali temple stands before an image and says, Mother, if, if um, uh, Sanyasin had come and tall and completely naked, extraordinary spiritual power he has got and he wants me to practice Advaita under him, shall I do it? Mother smiled and said, Ari, I have brought him only for you, go. Ah, mother has given me permission. Totavari thought this boy is an extraordinary spiritual genius, but hopelessly religious. What? He is sending me for an image? Rational mind always thinks of things in this way, but what is reason? How far can it go? Do we have the logic of the supreme reality, all our logic stops at a point. That was a powerful blow with the Gödel's theorem in the modern age, the Gödel's theorem, which simply smashed all your formalistic mathematical logic, where you said there are some true statements which are neither provable nor disprovable in the framework of mathematical logic. That created revolution. Gödel recently, I was in Princeton when I went to Sarvapriyananda's place. <coughs> From there we went to Princeton University and the Institute of Advanced Studies in Princeton. We saw the table where Gödel and Einstein and Pauli, all of them used to take tea at 4 p.m. <laughs> so what a remarkable experience they must have had. So you believe that these things are possible. Because if they are not possible, then life would be simply meaningless. So you say, Artratrana Narana what is the proof? Six witnesses. Come on. Six witnesses are there before you. Prahalada Prahalada was the son of Hiranyakashipu who tormented and tortured him to death. He said, one, one sentence, Onnamo Hiranyaya. In my glory you should sing. He was singing Onnamo Narayana. Again beating. He subjected him to most um, cruel tortures. He survived. Because Narayana is behind him. Prahlaascha Vibhishana. Vibhishana came to surrender to the Lord. And the Lord protected him. Karirat. Karirat is Gajendra. The king of elephants. The story in Bhagavatam. Not even human being, subhuman being, a species, an elephant, goes to the river to bathe and a crocodile catches the feet and drags it. It's bleeding profusely, can't get away from the crocodile, cries and cries to whom? To all the devatas, all the gods, Indra, Varuna, Vayu, 
all the small gods that cries and cries, nothing happens. Finally, he takes a small flower which is floating lotus and then is hood and cries, Oh, Narayana, please save me. Then the Narayana comes in the Garuda Vahana, the, uh, as a Garuda bird, and then cuts the alligator and releases him. Nakragrastabadam samudhritagaram The Shankaracharya says, Brahmadayo bhosuraha palyantamiti vidina vakya garinam asakte shusa devesvasakte shusa ma socheti rarakshan nakrahanane chakra yudha sridharaha artratrana parayana sabhagavan narayano megati. There is the bird, every line stands up, ends with this. So even a creature like an elephant was saved because it depended on the Lord. Karirat Panchali, you know the story of Draupadi? How she was insulted by Dushasana and Duryodhana. Dushasana was pulling her uh, robe, trying to insult her in public. Who were all sitting in front? Think of that, that poor lady. Who were all sitting in front? Yudhishthira and his four brothers, Panchapandavas. Five husbands, Karna was there, the great warrior, Arjuna was one of the greatest of warriors, and all of them, Bhishma and Dronacharya were there. Saintly souls, simply sitting with head bent. Draupadi is crying, please save me, please save me. Bho Krishna Chuta Bho Kripalaya Hare Bho Pandavanam Pate Kwasi Kwasi Suyodhanada Bahatam Bho Rakshamam Pandava Rakshamam Aturam Where are you? Where are you Krishna? I can't bear this anymore. Please come and save me. Then Anantavakrastra Infinite amount of clouds as long as Draupadi was trying to protect herself, defend herself, the Lord was just watching and smiling. When she put up both hands in despair, Oh God, I can't help myself anymore. Then he helped her. The story is there before you. Shankara says in the Sutra, these are not there just before you. Panchali, Ahalya and Dhruva. Ahalya was turned into stone by the curse of a rishi, by the touch of Ramchandra's feet, she regained the form. And Dhruva. Dhruva was a small boy who was desired of sitting on the lap of his father who liked or loved the other queen more than his mother. So he went and cries to the mother, what should I do, mother? Why, my father doesn't like me anymore. He said, what can the poor mother do? See, she doesn't like me as much as the other queen. Who will be, how can I do that? Sir, go, Narayana. God is the only refuge. Look at the teaching of those days. For everything go to God. Not only for bhakti and mukti and vairagya and jnana. For anything that you need in life. You go and cry to Narayana and then he will help you. This little boy goes to the forest. Moves around. A tiger comes and roars at him. He is asking, are you Narayana? Then Narada comes and gives him a mantra. Then Narayana appears before him. He forgets everything. Who will ask for father's lap? Who will ask for anything else? 
exactly the parallel is Swami Vivekananda. Narayan wanted material things. When he goes to the Divine Mother and the Mother's luminous, palpable, tangible, living form is there before him, forgets everything else. I want only you, nothing else. Panchali Ahalya Dhruvaha. If you have this kind of faith, I am a devotee of the Mother. I am devoted to her, I have surrendered myself to her. You feel the emancipation then and then. Not that you are going to become released, you become a Jeevan Mukta immediately. The idea is you get the release of the burden of the subconscious and the unconscious, the relief from the burden of all the de- depressions which have been weighing on you. Pass on the shocks to the infinite. Infinite is a great shock absorber. As Yadishwanji says, pass on. I get a problem, you call God, there's a problem, I give it to you. God is a great problem solver. <laughs> and he looks for problems, you know that? If there are no problems at all, what will he do? So I tell God, we are keeping on the job. If we don't give you problems, you'll go jobless. <laughs> Certainly some companies, the big companies fire some people, oh, there's no job now. So God will go jobless unless we give him problems. And therefore, it's particularly fond of people who give him problems. Unlike human beings get irritated when you bring problems. God says, hey, there's a problem now. And there's a small secret with which I'll end. Remember the secret. In the present age, the Lord has come as Ramakrishna, we believe, with his Shakti, Sharada Devi, and his chief most disciple, Swami Vivekananda, Nararishi, and his own son, Swami Brahmananda, and a host of others. And the Sampradaya is still going on. And we belong to that great Sampradaya. All of you, we, all of us belong to this great Sampradaya, this great tradition of Sri Ramakrishna. Now, in the modern world, people are turning materialistic. They don't call on God, they don't go to temples or churches. They are so absorbed in materialism. And the great Lord descended on earth with a huge retinue, so much of spiritual power. And he had a super mall of spirituality everywhere, installed all over the world, but no takers. Nobody goes there. So if you go, this is the most propitious and auspicious moment now in, in history, if you go and tell God your problems and cry to him, he responds immediately. You can try this. Go back home and cry to him. Uh, of course you have some problem? No. No problems at all? <laughs> you go to him and cry and see what happens. He responds quickly because he has plenty of time. Nobody is going to him now. <laughs> so we should take advantage of this situation. If more and more people call on God, then the number of customers increasing, the service will be less. So that's why when we purchase computers, we always purchase from smaller companies. Because bigger companies become so big, they don't attend to you properly. Suppose you ask, you purchase 10 computers. Oh, 10? Oh, they will not send people. They will send people where there are 500, 600 computers. Go to small companies, they have plenty of time and they attend to you. So now is the time when God is more or less free, with very few people going to him. One telephone call to Ram Krishna, I am coming immediately. And you know the cell number? Om. If you press Om, immediately respond. Did you call me? 
he does respond. With this faith, if you approach God of any form, of any name, in your heart of hearts and pour, your, pour out your heart to him like a child coming and crying to the mother. You try this. Don't feel ashamed. We, we don't want to go like, uh, like children. We are, we are adults. We are intelligent people. Throw away all your little intelligence. Become like a child as Christ said. And go and call upon God. Cry to him. I can't take this anymore. You have to come and intervene and do something to me. And if you don't, I will not leave you so easily. Because I am your child, Kali the Bhakta, and therefore it's your duty to protect me. Why did you give birth to me? The child will come and tell the mother, Swamakrishna says in the gospel, you go and tell the mother, you have brought me into this world, you have to jolly well look after me. If you don't look after me, then you will incur sin. Ram Prasad, if you don't protect me, then nobody will call upon you anymore. Ami Jodi Mori Ohara Shankari Durganam Keulobena. Oh mother, if I die calling upon you, nothing happens to me, then beware, nobody will call on you anymore. <laughs> so just to save your good name, you should save me. <laughs> and then he also says, be aggressive with God, because that's intimacy. You please try to develop some kind of intimacy with God of any form. May Christ, maybe Krishna, maybe Kali, maybe anything. Maybe Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna is the best choice in the present age because he is relatively free. And he is, Kali has become slightly old uh, and she can't see during daytime. There's a problem. You have to approach in the night. <laughs> so Ramakrishna has come in, Kali has come in the form of Ramakrishna. And he has so many branches everywhere. So you can easily uh, contact him everywhere. And you can also contact him online now these days. Everything is free. No charges. You get down the railway station. And there is a huge amount of luggage. And you are looking for somebody. Suddenly a group of young men appear. We are porters. And you appear so handsome, so young. And what are the charges? No charges. It's all free. Free? How can it be? In America, nothing is free. Even the trolley you have to charge, and even the water you have to pay. Free? It can't be. The wife is more faith, a woman of faith, as women usually are. And the men have this little reason, unfortunately. The father says, no, no, don't believe these fellows. No, no, they appear to be innocent. Let us ask them, what is your company? Oh, it used to several names it had. Once upon a time it used to be called the Buddha company, then the Christ company, then Chaitanya company, it was called Ramakrishna company. Ramakrishna company, which is the headquarters, that's at Belurmat in Bengal. And your branches all over. One in Washington DC also? Yes, we have one. You can contact any of these companies, and we serve free. Serve free? Yes. We have been commissioned to take the burden of everybody and help them to relieve them of burden. We are here to help you. So that you can be released, you can be a Jivan Mukta, you can be released and we take the burden. And we have been appointed by the Ramakrishna company. We, are, we do that. This is just new. And if you want, you can check online. We have the website www.ramkrishna.com.
and go and check that we are Junayan people. So these people are the devotees of God, the monks, the swamis here and the, and the uh, devotees. They are the people who keep serving the humanity with this message called the gospel. Gospel is a hope, message of hope that you bring along. So God has come so that he can release the, the burdens of people. Come unto me, ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give thee rest. The father doesn't believe. He says, we will carry the luggage ourselves. Don't believe these people. Unfortunate. What to do? Ramana Maharshi gives a beautiful story. Your person is carrying a luggage in the train on his head. Feeling terrible pain in the head. He is sweating profusely. He said, my wife has given me such a huge luggage. I told her not to. Then somebody said, put the luggage down. It's my luggage. How can I put it down? You fool, the train which is carrying you will carry your luggage also. <laughs> so I want to carry my karma. Loads of karma for millions of lives I want to carry on my head and suffering. The Lord comes and says, you keep the karma down, I will carry it for you. Bhaver bojha dure phele ai shakale nachi gai Bhavna bhai. Mother has come. Why do you worry now? All this great burden of samsara, burden of karma, you simply throw it on the mother, she will carry it, and then you dance with joy. Kalira bhakta jivana mukta nityananda kai. Eternally blissful, and you become free of the burden of karma by throwing it on God, who happily will take it. And he wants to take burdens. So why do you carry it yourself? This is the secret. Now is the time when Ramakrishna is relatively free. A time may come after a few hundred years, he will have hundreds of thousands of devotees all over the world. He will become very busy. So we have a golden opportunity now to throw away all the burden and Kali who came in the form of Ramakrishna and dance in great joy. Thank you.